Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now here's today's message. When God framed the universe, he thought of everything. From the building blocks of atoms to the complex ecosystems of earth, everything has a harmonious balance and order. In the same divine wisdom, he designed the family to follow a structure. When we ignore his guidance, a family is vulnerable, fragile. But if we adhere to a biblical blueprint, a family stands like a fortress, strong and unshaken by the rains and floods and winds of the world. Wow, first of all, thank you, Josh and worship team. Good job, you guys. Yeah. Well, I went away on a vacation and I came home with a cold, so there's that. I will do my best to not cough on you today. Um, everybody went through everybody on the in our family, and I finally got it last night, apparently. So, lucky me. Lucky you. Anyway, one plus one equals one. I've said this thousands of times in doing weddings. One man, one woman makes one. One plus one equals one. Bad math makes a great marriage. <laughs> I've used this metaphor of this oneness and trying to understand what the importance of this oneness. And I've used the metaphor the Bible lays out in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, as Christ loved the church, so husbands should love their wives. And wives should respect their husbands as the church, you know, respects uh, Christ. And this whole picture, <clears throat> the better we understand the relationship of Christ and the church, which he died for her the better we understand the picture of the husband and wife. And the better we understand this picture of this love of a husband and wife, you go, oh, man, I understand how much Christ loves the church. So they're, they're mirror metaphors. I've used that one. That's probably the, the most, uh, that's the biblical one. That's the one. But in trying to understand oneness, I've come across some different metaphors. You know, this oneness that we see in the Godhead. I'm going to talk about that this morning. Jesus said, make them one as we are one. That oneness is an example. I don't know if we fully grasp that example, but it is certainly an example. Another one I came across, and I use in weddings a lot, um, was when I saw my, my wife was doing needlepoint. She got into needlepoint for a while, and it looked like this one hoop, you know? And I realized, no, that's actually two hoops that are almost the same size, but one's a little bit smaller than the other, and they press against each other. And if you, you can take them apart and put a, some kind of a cloth between them and clamp it back together. And this oneness, if you will, they can make this beautiful tapestry. And that's a pretty good picture of oneness. It looks like one, but it's actually two. Each one is a, a whole hoop in themselves. It's not like a half a hoop and a half a hoop. It's a whole hoop. So I like that part of it. So I've used that as an idea with in marriage and oneness. But most recently, I came across uh, this guy named Todd Pierce. Todd Pierce, is uh, um, he has Writing High Ministries. He basically takes, uh, he's been in, in churches before. I think it's kind of cool because I've been measuring our, our stage to see if we could do it. I'm not sure. But he basically has a wild horse in the church service <clears throat> in a round pen. And he's running this horse around. And he's basically taking a horse that's never had a, a rider maybe had a halter, but never a rider. 
And before everybody, and within an hour, most of the time is able to actually get on the back of this horse. And most of the time, it goes pretty well. Some of the times, it doesn't. And but he has the most amazing kind of a way. He doesn't even put a saddle on first. He kind of crawls on their back. It's almost like they don't even almost don't even know. He's just hanging and kind of hugging on them. And the whole time, he's talking about how much God loves us. And he, what he does with the horse is basically saying, this horse is wild and free. And some people just love that idea of horses being wild and free. But he said, this horse has a lot of potential. And if, and if this horse will submit to him as a rider, there's a lot of things this horse can do if he learns how to trust and obey that rider. See the pictures here? I, it's, one of the, it's one of the coolest pictures I've seen recently. Uh, today we're having a <clears throat> cowboy chapel out of out of the Riata, and I'm going to show one of these videos, and so and I'm going to talk a little bit more about oneness um, and, and with that as well. But I think it's a it's a wonderful picture of not just oneness, but when you are one, when you're one as a horse and rider, when they are one, they're they're one minded, they're they're one in purpose. They can accomplish, they can accomplish a lot of things. If they're too in purpose, that cowboy's going to go this way and the horse is going to go this way. And that doesn't work so well. And he has some of those as well. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. After Jesus ascended before his disciples, Mary, the Lord's mother, and some of the women were, and the other believers were gathered in an upper room. The scripture says that they were all in one accord. This is kind of the same process, if you want to call it that. The same idea of this oneness. They were in one accord. They were like-minded. The Greek word that's used here is, is homothumidon. Homothumidon means two words meaning rush alongside or in unison. It's like rush alongside, it means they're, they're, they're running together. They're Homothumidon, they're, they're of one accord. They're, they're all together doing one thing. In this case, they were praying and waiting. But they were together doing that praying and waiting. This picture of rushing together or rushing alongside in unison, that's, I think, the best picture is a horse and rider. When that horse is finally able to understand the commands of the rider... The nudges, the squeezes, the tugs, the the kicks, whatever it would be. Boy, that, that horse and rider can be homothumidon. They they are like they're in one step. But they're not just static. Homothumidon is a purpose. They're moving. And I like that picture because <clears throat> when when they were all in one accord, they were all Working together, they were all in unison together. God came down in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and tongues of fire, and they went out and told the good news to all the people that were in the, in the area. It's a wonderful, I think, picture. It's not static. It's active. It's moving in unison together to accomplish a purpose. So oneness. I'm going to, obviously, this is... Uh, uh, Man, I'm really romantic, aren't I? Really, it's uh, Valentine's week. Whew, she's not at this service, so I'm good. Don't ever tell her that I've... 
Not that I'm thinking more about the Super Bowl than Valentine's Day. I'm not saying that. But, um, <laughs> but this whole idea of oneness, I'm gonna, we brought it out for this week, you know, because I'm going to talk a lot about marriage today. And marriage oneness is God's idea. It's not ours, not man's idea. It's God's idea. And you're going to have to, there's some verses, I will just tell you, they're like an adult dose. And I'm going to have, I'm going to read these passages and I'm going to, I'm going to brace you before you get to these passages so you know when to hang on. Um, and we're going to go right through them. But one that starts very early, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to talk about oneness and then I'm going to talk about two-ness. Oneness is better than two. And three, a three-strand cord might be the best of all. So there's where we're going this morning. Oneness. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two, they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, there's a lot in this passage. One of the things, and I teach this a lot with our, with newly, you know, uh, premarital counseling, naked and unashamed. Yes, they didn't have any clothes. Got it. But what it was, there was, they were completely transparent with God and with each other. That's the goal. The goal is complete transparency. That, that you know, if you're married or planning to be married, that you know your spouse and your spouse knows you. There's no hidden things in the closet. They know the good, the bad, the ugly. They know. That's what I think being open, and, and you might as well be honest with God because he knows anyway, Right? So that's the picture that God paints in the garden. And I will tell you, this is the first of those um, institutions set up by God. The family or the home was the first one. That's right here in Genesis chapter 2. Government is Genesis chapter 9. Man sheds another man's blood. His blood will be required of him. That's government. God instituted that in, in Noah's day. And then the third one is the church. When the church began, and that's Acts Acts chapter 2, Acts 1 and 2, and that's kind of what I started off with. They were all in one accord. And when he started the church, they were in that idea of pursuing together in this one accord. In this case, they were waiting, but they were in one accord as they waited. Deuteronomy is an interesting passage because Deuteronomy 6, 4, Behold, O Israel, and the Lord your God is one. Now, we know in the New Testament, God the Father and God the Son, and we find out later about the God the Spirit, and these are three persons of the Godhead. One God, three persons. Three, you know, distinct persons. God, God the Son was the only begotten, the one that became flesh was what begotten means. He became flesh. Uh, God the Father never became flesh. God the Spirit didn't become flesh. But God the Son became flesh. He's the only begotten one of God. Does it mean three gods is one God? Are you confused yet? Do you realize some of the greatest theologians of all time has this blown their minds? Some of the ways people have tried to explain this in the past is like uh, H2O can be in the form of gas or steam. It can be in the form of liquid it, uh, or water. It can be the form of solid or ice. All H2O, yet different, three different forms. That's, you know, there's some other examples kind of like that, but I'll just tell you, trying to understand the Godhead, but God says of himself, 
Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Jesus said even more confusing things. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why do you want to see the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. And know him. That's why these letters in red, they need to be read. We need to understand. This is, not they're not more inspired. They're as equally inspired. But this is like, this is, this is what Jesus said. And he spoke from the Father. And the Spirit is the one that's going to remind you of all these things. A lot of things that Peter wrote down in Acts. A lot of things that Paul wrote down in Acts, the Spirit of God. So they work together in unison. I will tell you, the, the oneness of the Godhead is a mystery. But what's even a greater mystery is the verse I'm going to bring up at the end of the service. To think, well, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to tell you now. And if I forget, throw something at me because it's, it's good. I mean, you want to, you want to hear this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 <clears throat> talks about the body being one, just as, as the body is one and has many members. All the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized in one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. That's oneness. This idea of oneness is in the body of Christ. This idea of oneness is in the Godhead. This idea of oneness is in marriage. And God chose oneness to be one of the key building blocks. A man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. Obviously she, obviously, she left her father and mother. And she joined her husband, and they became a new home. They became one. God said, God sees this new relationship as one. That's why there's a ceremony. That's why there's something, there's something formal about it. There's something public about it. You know, this man, this woman, everybody knows, okay, they're one. If you see her going to his house or she, him going to her house, that's okay, that's, they're one. Everybody should know this in the community. That's why it was there. This idea of oneness is God's idea. And he sanctified that. Inside of that oneness is a lot of freedom. Outside of that oneness, not a lot of freedom. We're going to talk a little bit about that. That's the next thing. It's two. And I called it too hard because you got two, two people going different directions is, is hard. Let's take the, the horse and rider. The horse going one direction, the rider going another direction. That is hard. There is nobody that, I don't think a cowboy ever that wants that to happen. He likes to stay on the back of that horse. Hitting the ground is hard. And when two people are going different directions, it's hard. It's hard. I think it's hard on, in every level. I think God sees it as hard. I think, I think kids and, and man and, and women see it as hard. I've sat in, inside of the, in, in many counseling moments. And guys, it's hard. When two people that became one, and by the way, it didn't be, becoming one isn't, doesn't mean hocus pocus one. They became one flesh. I can tell you after 40 years of marriage, it doesn't take, I mean, my wife can just, I don't know. She doesn't even need to say anything. I can just, one eyebrow, it's like, I know, she just said it, right? <laughs> or one look of <clears throat> whatever. It's like, okay, she didn't like that idea. Or I can tell if she did like the idea, right? It doesn't take much when you've been married that long. 
But when you're first married, you may not pick up on all those cues. It's kind of like the horse and rider. That horse is trying to figure out those cues. And once, that, once he figures out those cues, like, wow, you guys, you can move around barrels and run things, patterns, and do things, and circles, and stops, and amazing things once you understand each other's language. But it takes a while to get there. And it does that with a marriage. You become one flesh. Yes, God sees you as one when you were married. No question about that. But I think you become one. And I think that becoming one flesh is a continual process of, you know, um, learning to love one another, learning to how to resolve conflict, learning how to uh, share hurts and, and uh, disappointments and your fears and transparency. That takes some time. But when two are going different directions, it's hard. Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees came to Jesus one time and they called upon him. I'll just read it in 19.3. It says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him and asked him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. By the way, this this idea of leaving father and mother, cleaving to your wife and becoming one is three times in the Bible. One time in Genesis, one time here in Matthew, and one time in Ephesians 5. So it's repeated over and over. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, Jesus says, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of the hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, so that's, that's what happened in the Old Testament. He said, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the case, a man, with, a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are also eunuchs who have made themselves, been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Now, I would tell you most of the time people, I bet you haven't read that part of it too often. But this is the rest of the, the conversation that the disciples were having. So I guess it's better not to marry. He says, well, it's, if you can handle it, yeah. But not everybody can handle that. 1 Corinthians 7. And now this is the one I'm going to give you a warning. If you've ever been to a theme park what happens at a theme park is every time you see this big yellow sign, and it's outlined pretty good, and it says the same thing on every one of the rides, that's dangerous. It says, if you have a heart condition, or if you're pregnant, or if you have high blood pressure, and a whole bunch of other stuff, there was a, there's a few of them, I just like, I wish I had that, because I don't want to go on this ride. But anyway, <laughs> when you got grandkids looking, you got you to gotta go, you know, it's like, holy cow. I'm going to die with you, but I got to be brave. But anyway, they, they, they put these things on there, right? And you're thinking, well, there's some verses in Scripture that need a, a warning symbol in front of them. 
This next one is one of those. Because this is a, what I would call an adult dose. This is not child's aspirin here, right? This is an adult dose. And not everybody can handle 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In fact, most people swerve around it. But I'm going to read it. I'm going to go back and unpack it. Actually, I'm going to unpack it before I read it. Because I don't want any of you to leave. Here's, I want you to know, I believe this is this... This passage is to encourage people not to use your relationship as a weapon or a tool. Keep that in mind as I read through this. This is, I don't think he's given instructions on what exactly what a marriage should look like inside. He's basically saying, don't use a relationship, a marriage relationship, intimate marriage, intimacy in marriage, as a weapon or a tool. First Corinthians chapter seven, here we go. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of temptation and sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise a wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority of her own body. I told you this is not... This is an adult dose here, so hang in there. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps for agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I personally believe this is instruction, but it's instruction to, to make sure that you're not utilizing intimacy as a tool or a weapon. Because if you do, that's, um, that's not the purpose. See, I believe this passage assumes that there's already a relationship, for sure, a marriage relationship, assumes that there's trust assumes that this is a strong marriage relationship. And then within those bounds, he's saying the things that he said. Now, if I will tell you, I've counseled people that have had been in abusive situations, and this passage is like uh, kryptonite for them. It's like, it's just, I can't, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Can't do it, can't even read through this. And I understand that. But this is for one that there's a marriage relationship that has trust in their relationship. And within that trust within the relationship, he's, I think he's given the instruction, don't use intimacy as a tool or a weapon. Now, as a concession, it goes continues on. Not, uh, this is not a command, but I say this. In other words, Paul's basically saying, I'm not commanding, I'm not saying this is us, says the Lord, but this is what I think. I wish that all were like myself. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To be married, I'm sorry, to the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if, I, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So there's the rest of that passage as well. He's basically saying, listen, if you can remain single, that's fantastic. You can do a lot. He, he says it in other places. See, there's a lot you can do for the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate that fact. And, and singles, are, I hope you hear this. I hope you know this. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. If, just, if you are 
a desiring to, to have a relationship that is one with Almighty God, that's you're in a you're in a high class of people. Jesus is one. Um, did not have a relation, uh, marriage relationship. Paul, to my knowledge, Peter did. There's others that many others that were single and remained that way so that they could have a more fruitful and be connected with their heavenly father and not have to worry about the marriage and for kids and all those other things. This is this still falls into the adult those those categories. So I'm going to keep that warning sign up. I, I came across a podcast and uh, it kind of was it was kind of provoking a little bit. So I thought I don't know. It just caused me to to listen to it and continue to listen. And this lady was going on and on about some stuff. And then finally. She turned at the very end, at the, that was like a five-minute podcast. It wasn't a whole hour. And, and she said something, and I thought, man, I was not expecting her to say that. After she went on this kind of a, I wouldn't say a rant, but it was pretty passionate about relationships. And then she says this, ladies, she, she addressed the women. She goes, ladies, are you still attracted to the man you've caused him to be? This, this is one of those topics that I have a chance to make everybody in this room angry, and I don't, not intend to. But here's what's going on in our society, and I think you know it. There is a, there is a demasculization of men. It's in our TV shows. It's in commercials. It's like guys are dumb buffoons that basically can't do anything. And if, and if young men are growing up knowing and thinking that, that's probably what they're going to aspire to. It's something that I think is a very, very um, difficult in our society. Also, the, the women are all the heroes. The girls are the heroes. They're the strong ones. They're the, the heroes of most all the things. And that's, there's nothing wrong with strong women. I'm not, don't have any problem with that. But I do think it's a problem when you are, I read a book one time called Wild at Heart. Some of you have read this book. I think it was the, one of the best descriptions of a man's heart. That man has a desire for a beauty uh, to, a, to a victory to win, a beauty to rescue, and there's one more. And I can't remember what it is right now. But this, this whole adventure to live. He wants to live an adventure. He wants to go. And then, you, know, you saw it on the cartoon. Guys are weird. <laughs> They're doing stuff, man. They're out there doing guy stuff, kid stuff. Even kids recognize it. But that's probably why, ladies, you were probably attracted to this guy to start with. Now, here's the tender part. Now, I got to be really, really tender here. And I mean to be. But you got to be really careful. What she said, I think, is really interesting. Are you still attracted to the man that you've caused him to be? Does, has control, have you tried to control things because of certain reasons? It's like, I don't want you to be this guy. I want you to be this guy. And after a while, you maybe even using some tools as weapons possibly, or to manipulate some life, life uh, choices. Listen, I, I think there's a balance on one side, a guy can be too, you know, toxic manhood. That's, that's not what we're talking about, being the toxic male. 
I'm not talking about that's the ideal. <laughs> Nor am I talking about an apathetic male. Just like, I, don't, I don't even care. And guys, you'll know, I think you'll know if you've been, you, you, you'll know when you, if you, if you lose your mind over everything, that's being toxic. If you don't care about anything, you're on the other extreme of that. Somewhere in the between here, you need to say there's a pushback. Like, no, I really think we should reconsider, right? Whatever it is. In the same way, ladies, and you know, if, it's, if control is, is that all what you're about and you're terribly afraid of, you know, letting him be free or whatever, whatever that fear is, it's like, listen, um, this is what I said last week. Guys, you're going to have to convince her that you're a man of integrity, that you're a man of your word, that you're a man that's not going to go, that you can actually go, you know, be adventurous, if that's the right word to use. And not lose your integrity. You got to prove those things. And if you can do that, that's, I think that's the balance of this thing. You're supposed to live somewhere in here, but we're living on the edges and we, we criticize the edges and they like, and rightly so. Sometimes I listen to songs that my wife says, you need to listen to this. Actually, that happens a lot, but I, and when, her, when the song came on, she goes, you no, seriously, you got to listen to this. And uh, so, but sometimes a song will come along that is like, man, that is so chivalrous. It's not the greatest church message per se, but the, the chivalry part of it is amazing. And I'm not going to be able to quote the words. I'm, and I'm not definitely not going to sing it, um, <laughs> but I can remember the title and it's called Take a Drunk Girl Home. I told you it's not going to sound real good in church. <laughs> what the song is about is this guy, and he says, it's a, it's a story about this girl. It kind of takes her through her, her story. And as a little girl, she had big, thick glasses, and her dad was absent, and he never showed up. And, and uh, she had some in insecurities, and she made some mistakes. And, uh, and, and this guy goes... Um, to be chivalrous, and didn't use that word, but you know, take her to take a drunk girl home would mean when she's thrown her life on the floor, pick it up, pick up those pieces for her, and he sends her home in a cab, and you know, and says, "When you get home, text me that you made it safe." It's it's an most amazing little story from a country music artist that has chivalry in it. That is like you don't find that displayed anywhere. And it's very touching because there's a guy, because I will tell you, there is, there's wounded people. That's what the fall is talking about. There's wounded people in this world. And to try to get attention or looking for love in all the wrong places, sometimes will find themselves throwing them, girls is probably more than guys, throwing themselves into situations that shouldn't be. And here's a chivalrous guy that says, no. I'm, I'm going to send you home. Here's the cab. Call me when you get home. Don't, uh, we, there's a lot of tools that can be used in this relationship that can really, really damage. And to have some kind of chivalry, have some kind of respect, 
Um, it's not, listen, you're not going to find it too many places in our society. Um, but I hope, I hope they can find it in your life. And I'm mostly talking to guys right now. I just hope, I just hope guys that you can step up and be this, not toxic man, but not apathetic man, but something in the middle here that's, that has integrity, that has strength of character, that has responsibility, that can foster trust. That's, those are rare humans. And you're not going to find really any examples out there. Unless you read scripture and dig into some of these things. Or you do this last piece of advice in a three-strand cord is not easily broken. I, I really think this is the secret. This idea of this three-strand cord. I use this in marriages a lot and weddings a lot. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 4, probably probably have heard this, maybe even used it in your own wedding. Two are better than one because they have a good re reward of their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. <clears throat> now, what I've, I've used this as, I mean, I, I get what they're saying. There's like three men bound together as a cord. I mean, it's probably more, a little bit more military or defense, if you will. But, but I think it also works if you take it in a spiritual sense. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. And that is when a man is is that man of integrity, and he's following God with everything he's got. I think he will tell you when that is following God with everything you've got. You're going build, to build a trust, a trust in that, in your wife. He's going to the guy that's listening to God. This is a guy that's one with God. That's the guy who's right, if you will, the Lord himself. And you've got a woman who's pursuing her relationship, her relationship And she's sensitive to, sensitive to, God's nudges and in this trying to live somewhere in this in this mountain, not on the mountains, and trying to let the right things go and trying to control the right things in her in her life. And when she's connected with her Lord, and you get these two, one's connected with her Lord, the man's connected with his Lord, that three-strand cord, that's not easily broken. And I always encourage people. Sometimes they'll even take ropes and they'll time um, weave them together. And you get to see it. You can feel it. As you're weaving God into every decision on the man and on the woman and weaving them all together to make them one cord. I really think that's the secret. I really think if you just wrap yourselves around the things of God and have him a part of every part of your decision making and you pray about these things together, that's a three-strand cord that is not easily broken. Jesus basically says to his disciples, and I want to end with this. John 17, verse 21. <clears throat> He's praying for them. This is the last thing he says before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's after, I believe this is after the, uh, the Last Supper. He's traveling with them. And he's praying to the Father for them. He said that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me 
and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This, this idea that somehow, this is the part that I told you to throw something at me if, you, if I forget, and I didn't forget. So somehow the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they are one. And here is Jesus Christ praying to God the Father, said, as you and I are one, Father, allow them, these disciples of mine, that you've given me to be one with, with us. This is the most mind-blowing thing that, that God is inviting us into something eternally, eternally past that will be eternally future to be one with him. And I'll tell you, when you get this idea of this kind of oneness, you're going you're gonna to be different. Your marriage will be different. There's going to be more trust in that marriage. There's going to be more integrity in that marriage. There's going to be more probably even more flexibility in that marriage. Why? There's just trust there. This is not on the screen, but I want to end with this one. John 15, this is, he spoke these words just a few, probably a few minutes before John 17. And he says this to his disciples, because how does this oneness, what does it look like? He says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This, this idea is this, this oneness, this abiding. The, it's a whole lot like the horse and rider. When the, when the horse obeys the commands of the, of the rider... That's what makes them one accord. If the horse gets his own ideas and goes this direction, when the rider wants to go this direction, there's going to be problems. There's a, actually a great illustration of this. And Todd um, Pierce was uh, this horse. He, he, had, he just had a halter on him. And he was running around inside of this pen. And he got on him and he sat on him. And I mean, you're just going, oh, my gosh. You could tell this horse has not had a, any rider sit on him before. Because he was bucking a little bit and all that. And he finally got on him. And he sat on him for a little bit. And then he tried to move him. Horse kind of broke in two and threw him off. And, and you could tell he landed pretty hard. And he was kind of, you know, he had a microphone on. And he was kind of breathing hard. And he goes, you know, at this point right here, he said, there's a part of me that just said, wants to say, you know what? There is an option B. And option B is for you to be wild and free. He said, but I see potential in this horse, and I'm going to choose option A. And he got the horse collected again, and he started getting all over him again, started getting all around him. And he did something I've never seen anybody do before. I wouldn't have believed if you told me, so you probably won't even believe me. But there's a horse that just kind of broke in two and just kind of threw a fit. And he, he basically had the halter on the horse, no saddle. And he, he knelt down right in front of him. And he just looked up at the horse. And the horse started getting his attention down there. And then he just started rubbing his legs. There's a lot of trust, I assume, that's built there. He worked his hands up all around his neck. And he just kind of hugged on the horse like this. He was really close. I mean, the horse flinches. He's going to be, it's not going to go well. 
He starts bringing his leg up, and he's really a strong athletic kit guy. I mean, he just kind of slinks up on this horse, and he sits on him again and trots him around the ring. And you just go, oh, my gosh. And the whole time he's saying, you know, this horse was trying to tell me that option B was going to be a better option for him. He said, I, I can see potential, and I chose option A. Do you realize God has chosen option A for you? How many times have you bucked him off? How many times have he's asked you to obey? Just trust me, one, just this one time. There's something in scripture and he's saying, I'm, I'm just asking you to, if you, if you want to be one with me, if you want to be, to have this same purpose, this same direction, and this same passion, all you have to do is, is obey me. And how many times do we buck him off? No, I'm done with you, God. I'm done with the church, and I'm done with this, and I'm done with that, and I'm just like, I'm done. God chooses, could choose option B. I, for one, am really, really glad. For me, he chose option A. Because I bucked him off several times. And I don't know why, but he kept just, and I, as I see him just hugging on this horse and just saying these kind words to him, I see potential in you. I just thought, man, this is, this is a whole new picture of oneness. I hope it helps you. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I do thank you for these pictures that you've given us to try to help us understand that, that we can be one with, with God. Not God, but one with you. One in purpose, one in, 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 in unison, having like-minded. My mind's going the same direction your mind is going. That's an amazing in the midst of this crazy world that we could be like-minded in, in the tasks or in this church or in our marriage. God, I pray that, I pray for that like-mindedness, the courage to take on that like-mindedness in marriage, in our relationship with you, in the relationship with this church. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today I, on Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you have a super day, and I won't tell you who I'm cheering for today, but I, uh, I hope your team wins, but I hope Kansas City loses. So anyway. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.